Praise be to the Lord. Glory be to God. God has been good to us. If we're alive today and breathing, it's because of God's mercy. A lot of people really don't make it through the night. That metaphor of a dark night, cold winter, the darkness and gloom of winter, it's a reality, not just in literature or in films or poetry. The metaphor, unfortunately, speaks of reality. There's a real darkness when somebody's dying and they don't have another chance to repent. They're gone. And they'll have to end up in hell. Not because God wants it, but because they refused. All the waking moments when they could have stopped playing ball and stopped watching movies and stopped running around, doing whatever they wanted to do, and say, God, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So I need to get things right with you. I need to settle accounts, Lord. I have a lot of debt, Lord. Before you, and I can't pay any of it. You said you paid for me on the cross. You, you were murdered, Lord, on the cross. You died so your blood can wash me clean. And so I'm coming to you humbly, Lord. Make me your child. And Lord, help me to live for you. Change me. Help me to grow. And then everything else falls into place, whether it's ball, movies, food, travel, family, friends. Job, hobby, career. Everything falls into the perfect place because none of those areas will have a pit that Satan has designed for the world where they fall into. When they spend time with family, Satan has pits. They go overboard or they cross the line they shouldn't and it becomes a feud and a fight and a trouble and turmoil. And all of a sudden the family that's supposed to be a blessing becomes a curse. And then in sports or music or hobbies and career, Satan has a well-designed pit, a snare. When people step over the boundary, they become greedy. They become selfish. They become a show-off. Those are snares. They fall into it and they get caught. And it becomes death. While they're breathing physically, they're dead spiritually. But God has a better way. When we put the Lord first, every one of those areas, God comes and he makes it devil-proof. Hallelujah. He makes it Satan-proof. Why? Because a person decided, I'm going to humble myself against this great truth. In light of this great truth that Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, is the one in charge and I belong to him. I want him to show me how to make decisions. Every one of us here, every one of us, if we're honest, we could say this evening, I have made bad decisions, wrong choices. In fact, beyond just bad decisions and wrong choices, I have actually hurt people, hurt myself. I have committed murder. The Bible says if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. Those are sharp words, but it's the truth. The truth penetrates. God says in the epistle of John, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer, just like Cain, who hated his brother, and he killed him. He killed Abel, innocent Abel. Why? Because he was greedy. He wanted to be like Abel without having his values. He said, well, God's got to take what I give him, you know. Why? Why didn't God take? How come he took my brother's sacrifice, his offering? Well, I don't like my brother anymore because he's got one up on me. He has God's favor. As we heard and reflect this morning, 
he recounted from the word of God and from the messages that all Cain had to do is go to God and say, Lord, what my brother did, I didn't do. I'm sorry, Lord. Apparently, I came in the wrong way to you. I was full of myself and say, here, God, take it. You want my life? Here's my life. You want my offering? Here's my offering. I didn't come humbly. I didn't come with my whole heart, with reverence, knowing that God hasn't taken anything. He hasn't. He doesn't have to take anything from anyone. But he chooses to when he sees humility and real faith. All Cain had to do is say, Lord, the reason you accepted my brother, not me, because his works are righteous. My heart is not right. Lord, would you help me too? God would have immediately helped him. But you see what the devil does is he jumps the gun. He steps in between before we can process that, that I need to get right instead of looking at my brother and being jealous. I need to get right with God. I need to be happy for my brother and find out how I can also make God happy. Satan knows you start thinking like that, he's doomed. So he runs and says, well, let me give you some feelings and let's run with the feeling. What, what feeling? Anger, bitterness, rage, wrath, vengeance, jealousy, whole mess. And God says to Cain, why is your face down? What's wrong? If you did the right thing, wouldn't I accept you? Cain, there's a big problem here. You got sin right at your door and it wants to enslave you. But you know what you have to do, Cain? You have to rise up and master it. Cain didn't take it. Even after God gently, God could have flung him to the farthest end of the universe and said, you fool, you, you dragon, you evil one. I made you just like I made your brother. Why are you angry at him? Why did you kill him? God is so good. Human beings, they will fry people in a moment. Many human beings, they get so angry. They say, how dare you do that? I don't want you to exist anymore. You're gone. God is so good. He knows an eternity in hell is nothing to trifle with. And so he cares. He says, you're in the wrong way. I'm coming to help you. This is what you need to do. And if Cain would have said, God, I'm sorry. I turned into a monster. I wanted to kill my brother. He didn't do anything against me. What's wrong with me? God, can you heal my heart? Can you change me, Lord? Can you take these spots of leprosy and disease on my heart, Lord? Can you take it away? And God will instantly take it away. That's the nature of God. I'm thankful to God beyond words because I don't even understand fully his greatness not only of his personhood and his power and his nature but his love toward me his love is like an ocean truly and my cup is overflowing continually because I can't contain all his love to understand it it's going to take eternity but I'm thankful that I could have been slaughtered like the devil slaughters people every day takes them to hell I could have been one of those nothing but God's mercy Spared me. And with that mercy comes a commandment. Don't go back. If you go back to your old ways, and any one of us can choose to, he said you may die in that way forever. And so we have this healthy respect, just like a father to the son. The father says, look, I don't want you to mingle with those kids. They're from the wrong side of town. I just know it. Trust me. 
Now, human fathers may have had bad experiences and they can relate to that. God doesn't have any bad experiences, but he knows all about human experience. So he warns us, don't run with the people who are evil. They don't care about God. That means they're in the devil's hands. Why do you want to go with them? Don't get tricked by the fool's gold. Fool's gold is gold that is not real. It's a lie. At the end of the day, they die in misery. And God says, don't go there. And so the child who listens gets blessed. And the child who doesn't think he's smarter than dad gets into a whole lot of trouble. And it's a grief to the dad. Now I got to go and clean up your mess. But what I know personally from God is there's nobody loving like him. He's awesome. He's majestic. He's terrifying to the devil. He's terrifying to us too if we're on his bad side. But when we just humble ourselves and say, Lord, Thank you for your love, for your sacrifice. He changes everything. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians in the prayer, unplanned, unrehearsed, mentioned the armor of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Look how the God works, how the Lord works. Now, I didn't even realize, even though I know this inside, at the moment I'm talking about fathers and sons, that the first verse is going to take us to just that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Let's hear not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of the God who created the cosmos. I'd like you to turn to your Bibles, and I'm going to call on some of you to read for us, and let's hear this. Let's turn to the New Living Translation today. And let me call out the names, and if you don't hear the person read, please just read their verse and your verse too. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have a total of 24 verses. Not just nuggets of wisdom from heaven, eternal wisdom, truth that can transform us, but it's medicine for our souls. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 24. In fact, before you read it, I'd like to read it. Please hear this. Children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. The New King James Version says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. If a parent should tell a child, go buy me alcohol, should the child buy the alcohol for the parent if the parent's killing himself or herself? It says obey in the Lord. Now, in this case, the New Living Translation obviously has changed it somewhat. It's not just because you belong to the Lord, but it's also because it has to be an obedience that reflects God's truth. If a parent says, you know what the Bible says, boy? Ephesians 6, 1. Don't you know that? I took you to church when you are little. I want you to go and mess up that boy over there because his father gave me a dirty look. And don't let that kid take that from you. You punch him in the nose. Do you know parents like that? I have witnessed that. Walking home from school as a little child. Kids fighting 
brutal. And here are the parents walking their children home from school. And I see this particular parent watching with glee and joy when two school kids are fighting. And he's wanted, he wants to see a fight. He's happy. And his son is standing next to him. What do you think the son is going to learn? He's going to learn that, you know what? doesn't matter, right or wrong. I want to see a good fight and I hope somebody gets hurt. It'll make me have a good time. I didn't even have to pay for it. Isn't that what people do when they watch these fights and all these sporting events that are brutal? What's the meaning of it? I used to be into that. Some of you were violent. You were into boxing, martial arts, weightlifting. I was into all of that many, many years ago. It's a, it's a mode that the devil puts you into like, you know what? This is skill and this is finesse and this is strategy. This is speed. This is raw power. And this is what rules the world. So here's my hero in the ring and he's beating that guy up. What's the end goal? What's the end game? Got money. Now you get to do commercials and everybody fears you. Think about some of the sporting greats who are in violent sports. Where are they now? A lot of them have brain damage. A lot of them have problems in their relationships. Does anybody show that? When they're in the ring and they're prime? No. Because the devil is a liar. He will show people entertainment to get them in that mode where they get desensitized to pain that one is feeling. And you know, one of the reasons he gives, well, they paid for it. I mean, they, they signed up for it. You know what he's going to get into when he got into golden gloves? You're going to get some, you know, it's a good thing. It's a lesson for life. You don't have to get your brains bashed in to learn lessons in life. But you see how it comes along? Spartan training from the ancient world. They say football coaches who don't give water to the players. Rugby players. What is the meaning of that? Well, if you deprive them of the water, it makes them tougher. Does it make any sense to have it as a sport? What's gone wrong with people's minds? The devil rules. The model who puts tons of makeup on the face and the mother and the grandmother and everybody says, go ahead and do it. Nothing wrong with makeup. We've said that before. But anything overdone becomes detrimental. And then there's a regret years later when the ill effects of that really show up and nothing can cover it. No. All the wisdom of God in our day-to-day living. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? Here's the promise, verse 3. This is way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when God gave the Ten Commandments. It's still valid. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Did you ever hear a mom or dad say, maybe you're a parent, and you tell your child, Junior, just listen to me. Trust me, if you do what I tell you, things will work out. If you don't, there's going to be trouble and problems. And as a child, maybe every one of us here have felt mom and dad don't understand my needs and what I'm thinking. They're old-fashioned and they just want me to do what they want me to do because they said so. And they don't know how fun it is. And I don't believe all that stuff. It's just scare talk. Tactics to make me not do what I want to do. They want to control me. See how the devil will come with a million different things? 
But if we stand on the word of God, things will go well. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life on the earth. It's qualified. How is it qualified? Verse 1. It has to be in the Lord. Again, if your father or mother tell you to do something morally wrong, you have no obligation to do it because your higher obligation is to God. Now, majority of the time, parents do love their children. When I say majority of the time, not good parents majority of the time. Good parents will always love their children. But the majority of the parents, I should say, in the world, they really want the kid to be okay. They may have different motivations for that. On the one hand, a parent may say, if my son or daughter doesn't listen to what I say, I'm going to have a huge problem. I'm going to be out of money. I'm going to have to pay for this again. They may give me a bad name. Those are not the best motivations. But still, at least they want to give the right advice. The best thing is, I care for my child. I don't want him to mess up his life and end up in the ditch with problems and burdens. And I want you to suffer, son. My daughter, I don't want you to suffer. I want you to be happy. That's mom's desire. That's dad's desire. And then they tell them exactly what to do. Don't believe everything you hear. Evaluate it. Judge it according to the truth. And then again, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't go for fool's gold. Not everything that glitters is gold. These are important lessons to have drilled in again and again. So much so that God drills it into us from the word. He keeps telling us. Judge not by appearance, outward appearance. Judge righteous judgment. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Well, I've been guilty of this. I confess that when I was talking about anger the other day. It's not that you want to provoke them. But unfortunately, if we're not careful, it can end up provoking the children. They get exasperated. They get tired and they get, they feel like I'm, I'm not valued and we have to repent. I have repented for that. And then we have to say, Lord, I want to build up my children. I want to, as many years ago, I was very much into myself. I had to repent. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. In other words, be extra patient, extra loving. God says, give them room to speak. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't hammer them. Now, if they're doing wrong, and they're tearing the house down, and they're defiling and corrupting the other children, you can't be very, very soft. In that case, if you tell the child, look, this is the 18th time I told you, do not bring drugs into the house. I warned you, I'm going to have to throw you out. I know you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, but I'm going to kick you out because you're going to tear the family down. And your little brother and little sister are taken after you. I'm not going to settle for that. Now, if that 18th time the parent says, get out right now, you're defying everything that's good and you're corrupting everybody, you're going to end up killing yourself and other people. I'm not going to stand for that. You're making a choice? Do it somewhere else, not here. At that point, if the child says, you provoke me to anger, don't you know Ephesians 6, 4? Well, that would be a mockery. So every one of these verses and what God says in context makes perfect sense. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the 
Lord. Some parents have beaten their children mercilessly with belts and sticks with their hands and horrible child abuse, horrible abuse. Not only to the body, to the whole psyche, the mind. And they end up growing up and being, become parents and go into marriages messed up. And this evil that's been done to them, this bullying comes out. What a deadly generation of curse. Others, they cut people down with the words. They won't lay a hand on them, but we can hurt our children terribly by our words. Others, they say, well, I don't beat my kid. I don't talk down to my kid. I let the kid do whatever he wants, or she wants. And we love when Father's Day comes and Mother's Day comes, Mother's Day comes. We love it when we have family gatherings. Everybody loves me. Everybody loves me. You know why? Because they tell them what, I tell them what they want to hear. And I never ever caution them. God says, you don't love your child. You hate your child. There's a way to talk and time to talk. And you know, God only knows. I know. And God knows much more how much I need. We need God to direct us on how to talk and how to speak as parents. The outcome will be very fruitful and powerful when we change course. That we show that extra love, extra tenderness, extra patience, and don't cut them down and don't cut them off. At the same time, tell them the truth. You know what? Before that, live the truth. Because a kid will surely say, you told me the right thing, but you didn't do it yourself. So it didn't work for me. You told me, do as I say, not as I do. I'm sorry. That's fake. I don't want it. Fear of the Lord causes a parent to say, Lord, how am I before you? It's easy to preach and teach to other people. Often it's not so easy when we have to do it to ourselves and say, where are you? Do you fear God? Do you love God? Where's God in your life? What's the sense of morality when a parent says, hey, don't uh, go around with that boy or that girl and don't hang around and have too many boyfriends or girlfriends? You know why? Because a lot of venereal diseases out there. You got to be careful now. Does that make any sense? When the child says, you mean you're going to preach morality to me? You're going to tell me what's morally right and wrong, but you don't live that way yourself. Not only that, where's the reference point? That's you. You know how many kids will say that? A kid will rise up and shock the parent one day by saying, I want to go with a person of the same sex. And the parent says, no, what's wrong with you? And the kid looks at the parent, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? That's not right. Who says? Because you say you're just a parent. You're just a human being like me. And now I'm of age and I can do what I want. See, there's no reference point. There's no God in the picture. So everybody has a different standard. And one crook will get angry at another crook because other crook defied and surpassed and crossed the boundary of the boundaries that the first crook set as a supposed moral way. In other words, one crook will say, look, you can rob that person, but don't hurt them because something bad will happen to you. I have a bad feeling that if you touch another human being and hurt them physically, Somebody's going to knock your lights out one day. They that live by the sword will die by the sword. Oh, they picked it up somewhere. 
The other crook said, no, 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 no. I'm not content just to rob the person. I want to teach them a lesson that they shouldn't try to resist me. I'm going to hit them really hard. First one says, that's wrong. Second one says, why? Because you said? Third one says, no, no, I'm not happy just to rob and hurt. I want to kill that person. And these two say, what's wrong with you? And the guy says, what's wrong with you? I've been doing it for a long time. I related this, shocked me. Way back in the early 90s when I was working in the city. You meet different people. And I had a co-worker that I met for the first time, this young man. And he had a little contraption. I was into music and he had this thing that makes beats <laughs> for music. Very ancient thing now. They're so high tech now. He was just fascinated because I was into music. I said, oh, how does that work? And in the course of our conversation, this young man told me, about a gang. Somehow the conversation went to that. And he says, yeah, we're initiating this guy and he just killed his first man. I said, what? Now, I didn't say what to him like that, but inside it, it just shook me. I said, what did he just say? We're just talking about music. And he said, this new guy was initiated into a gang. And into in order to get into that gang, you have to kill. And he said, he just killed his first man. That's what he said, killed. Not killed, killed his first man. And then I heard cheers later from other people, and this was no lie. They mentioned because I met different people, different places, some in Queens, some in the Bronx, some over here. I was like, oh, so this is reality. Now, what kind of culture is that? It's a murderous culture. Where you can kill somebody and go out to dinner high-five somebody and say, yeah, how did you make that profit and how did you feel and who did you get? How dreadful. We can run from reality and go to a monastery, become a monk and start chanting and have echoes going over there and saying, I'm being spiritual and, and live uh, outside of the real world. But you know what Jesus did? He didn't leave the real world. He was in the real world. All the killing, all the stabbing, all the adultery, all the lying, all the stealing, all the blasphemy. He was right in the middle of it watching this. And every place he was, he brought the light and said, this is wrong. It's not the way God taught you. And he went to the religious people first and he says, you snakes. You're teaching people what not to do. Yeah, you're doing the right thing by that because you're going by the book. But you? He said, you're really snakes. Light has an effect. Light will expose darkness wherever it appears. And if you claim to be in God and you are not used by God to expose darkness one way or another, wherever you are, that means you're very much in the darkness yourself. So I have to say, Lord, as a parent or as a child or both, am I in the light? Am I listening to God's word? Now the next verse says servants or slaves. We think about the term slave. A lot of people have problems with that. We need to understand another culture. It was equivalent in many ways to maids and butlers. It's not the same thing. But in many cultures, that's the equivalent. They didn't think anything else. And also in many places, those people who are there to serve day and night actually signed up for that too. They were known as bond slaves and they'll say, I want to serve you. You know, you've been good to me, my family. 
you know, in, in that structure of this fallen world, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. And you're treating me really good, like your family. And I have to do what you say, but I'm glad to do it because I see you love me. I want to stay with you. I married somebody now and I want my family to stay with you. It's not as uh, one track as we think, especially in ancient culture. So don't let that word throw you off. In fact, God says we're his slaves. Am I upset because I'm God's slave? Oh, he just created me to make me a slave? No. It's one facet, meaning he's God Almighty. I have to do what he says because he's right. I belong to him. He died for me. He paid for me with his blood. He gave his life so I can live. That's why I'm alive and I'm able to flourish before him by his mercy. And also I'm his son. We're his sons and daughters. It's different. But here, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to people who may say, well, I became a Christian and I'm nobody's slave. I'm going to fight my master and run out of here. Paul's hold hold it. That's not the way. You know what you can do? You can be the light right there. So the person who's your master or your owner or your boss, they see the light in you because you know why? You're so kind and you're so willing to obey and you don't give them lip. You don't talk back and you don't make a face and they're like, you know what? You're different. What's happening with you? You say, because of the Lord. Who? Oh, you mean Mars and Jupiter and Zeus? Greek and Roman God? No, no. Jesus. Jesus. Well, maybe you're onto something because I know a lot of people like myself who follow Zeus and Jupiter and Mars, and, but they're not like you. So maybe this Jesus is different and, and they watch the life. They can get saved. Isn't that beautiful? Who could think of these things? We need the Holy Spirit to show us long term. We need the Holy Spirit to show us behind the scenes. When we obey God, we humble ourselves. We see God using us to be a real light everywhere. So we can take it to this level today. Boss. Workers. When you have a boss and they control your paycheck, we got to do what they say. I can't say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm free, and you can't tell me what to do. If they tell me something wrong to do, like cheat over here, I have to obey the Lord. and say, I'm sorry, I I respect you and everything, but I can't do this. Well, I'm going to fire you. Well, I'd rather be fired and right before God than work for you, have money, and be wrong before him. So thank you for your help, your consideration and help. And uh, it's been good working with you and for you. See, that's the right way. So Paul's concerned that people don't revolt. Relationships, even on the job. He says, have respect from the heart. And fear, that word fear is another word for a movement within us, our conscience and our hearts and minds to comply with what we've been told to do. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Wow. What a theology of work this is. He says, not just serve them with respect, do what they say, and make sure you punch out on time, and punch in. And no. He says, I want you to, you know what? I want you to serve them not just with respect and fear, but serve them sincerely, just like you would serve the Lord himself. Very, very lofty directive right there. That will make you shine like a light wherever you are. 
it'll actually draw people to God through you. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. You've seen employees, maybe we're one of those. When the boss comes around or we know this review going to happen and we're like on the tippy toes and cross all the T's and dot all the I's and we know bonus time is coming around and I got to make a good show. I don't want to miss out. You got to play the rules, play by the rules of the game. But what about when nobody's looking? He gave me a job to do. I'm going to do it with the best of my ability, even if they don't notice it. God sees it. I'm going to serve them like I serve the Lord. This is beyond this world, I can tell you right now. Am I going to do it? That's the bottom line. I can know about it. I can preach about it. I can talk. Wow, this is great. You know, God used this with me when I used to work in the city many years. Oh, the people I dealt with. The people I dealt with. I, I, I used to tell people all the time when I was evangelizing or giving the word. You know, I used to tell them, I used to say, you know what? Working in the city for this company is the best Bible school I've ever heard of or been associated with. That was the truth. You know why? Because my buttons were keeping, uh, kept being pushed every time. Every time I spend time with the Lord and I feel so good and I, here comes somebody irate for no reason, whether it's racially motivated or just evil spirits coming and bothering you talk politely to them, they hang up on you, curse at you. I had to be people spit when I had to be on the field. You think, what? The old nature comes up. I think, wait a minute. I learned some things. Maybe I need to show them. You can't do this to me. I'm going to let you know right now because this is a job. And I have a role to play, but I'm going to break out that role right now because you can't do this to me. I'm going to make sure you don't do it ever again. I don't care what happens. And God will show. Remember the word I told you? Now the word is trying you. You're under trial right now. My very word is trying you. What are you going to do? And I had to swallow my words. I had to calm down. I had to pick up the phone and call my wife, my godly wife. So she can pray for me and talk to me. It's the early years, many, many years ago. God started changing me, really showing me, you know what? There's a force from your flesh, this lower nature and the devil and the provocation to want to make you explode and ruin everything. Hang in there. And I saw, just like I preached before, it's not enough to keep the cork on the bottle and fume inside. And say, well, I had a good day because I didn't blast this person. No, that effervescence, if you will, that bubbling of that volcano, that lava has to be eliminated. For that, I need more surgery. I need to go to the Lord and cry and be broken and say, Lord, what is wrong with me, Lord? I know this is not right. They think I'm okay, I'm good, I'm different, but inside I know what's happening. And it's not your way, Lord. Help me, Lord. Change my heart, Lord. And then God started working. And it was beautiful. The people that used to set me off, I not only had a smile on the outside and patience, and, but inside I had nothing but love because I saw they're being controlled like a puppet. The devil's controlling them because they're causing trouble. 
This is where the word of God really does a surgery. Verse 7, work with enthusiasm, enthusiasm as though you're working. Again, when you have a, ver- when you have a truth back to back like this, God is saying this is immensely important. Listen carefully with both ears. We just heard it says, work for your boss as you would work for God with all your heart. Verse 7 says, work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Again. I want to call on some people right now, but I won't. But I'd like you to think about yourself and your job, in your role, wherever you work. Can you say, Lord, this is me? I work hard, not just hard, but carefully to bring my boss profit, especially when he's not looking or she's not looking. I give a good name for them. I'm loyal to them. And I'm working with enthusiasm as if I'm working for the Lord. Oh, my, my, my. Beloved, if we can't say that, that means that we are above God's word, which is to say I'm above God. I don't need to obey this. I'll obey the other stuff. Love your family. Treat your kids right. I see the value of that. You know, I don't want any repercussions now. But the boss is a nine to five. You got me for eight hours. That's it. Goodbye. I'm not changing anything. That's a rebellious spirit. That, that's a spirit that is actually run by the devil, father of pride. I get broken down so God can build me up. And I have to say, Lord, if I'm not doing this on my job, I'm not doing it right. I'm doing it all wrong. No matter what people say, because God sees our heart. I see that it's more profitable to switch to the New King James. So we'll do that. Sometimes we flip to the NLT. Verse 9. And you masters or bosses do the same things to them. If you're a boss, if you're a supervisor, if you have even one employee under you, God says, don't you threaten them. When we minister in different places, we've seen this. People who are in programs, rehab programs, been taught the Bible and went to detox and come back and all this stuff. And they're working hard on that particular campus area. Instead of going to jail, they're over there and they're learning God's word. And and things are changing by God's grace. It's a miracle. Thugs, I mean, people who are beating people down and robbing and killing them. You see a tremendous change. But then you know what? We have witnessed with our own eyes. We used to minister in different places. That guy who's in the program or that girl or that lady becomes an intern. Now they got a little bit of authority. We've turned them We've seen them become monsters right in front of us. How we grieved in our heart. My heart hurt so badly when I saw them mistreating another person. I was thinking, don't you, don't you remember where you came from? Don't you remember how nice and loving you were? What happened to you now? See, it's not a question about, well, they got to learn rules and I, I have authority. I don't want them thinking buddy, buddy. No, but there's a way to do it. Don't forget where you came from. God says, don't you threaten them, knowing that your own master also who's in heaven is in heaven. He's watching you. There's no respect to person with, with him. He's going to judge you like you are. Powerful. May we never let power corrupt us or authority. Whether we're school teachers, whether we're bosses somewhere in some company, in some company, whether we're parents, no matter who's under our authority, 
let's be very careful to be humble, just like the Lord commanded us. Never threaten or oppress. Again, as I was mentioning about anger and all the sins associated with that, if we do that, we're not going to make it to heaven. Plain and simple. No matter how long we've known God and we did evangelism and help people in the soup kitchen and help the homeless and preached and wrote books and God say, what's the use of that if your heart is oppressing other people and you're threatening people and you're mean because it's in the heart where your real identity is who you really are over the last several decades verses like these have pierced my heart many times because I've seen it play out. And I knew if I'm going to be a real Christian, I have to be very careful that I obey the voice of the Lord. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it to heaven. Now, getting to the armor, with all this stuff happening, the devil trying to push our buttons and make us act a certain way, we have armor from God. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Know that you're connected to him and know that you have power from him. And in the power of his might. In other words, you don't have to do the wrong thing. That's the, that's the meaning of that. You don't have to cave into the devil. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him pull that wool over your eyes. Say, well, you've done it a hundred times. So you smoke that one hundred times. It comes around, you can do it again. That's who you are. No. No. That's who you made me to be. Because I gave my neck to you to put that noose around my neck. Drag me. But I got news for you, devil. That's not who I am. That's not the way God made me. So the hundred and first time that drugs are coming down, or, or, or cigarettes, or alcohol, or, or, or adultery, immoral people, women, and men trying to seduce me, and all my friends and all these people in the media saying, yeah, go for it. You got to do it while you can, get it while you can. No, 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 I'm not going to hell. I don't want to destroy my body. I don't want to waste my money. And more importantly, I don't want to dishonor God with my body that he gave me to honor him. See how the truth can stop the devil dead in his tracks? If we don't have the truth, we will fall in. If we say, no, I'm not a man, I'm man enough. Some people say, well, I'm above every woman. I'm not a dog. I've seen people like that. I don't care what this woman does or who she is. No, they don't control me. I pick and choose what I want to do. Nobody seduces me. You know what? That person will be a dog and a slave in another area. That's all. They'll be the slave of greed, covetousness, money, power, pride, all kinds of stuff. So every person is a servant of either God or the devil. That's the truth. When we belong to God... We have everlasting life, joy, and peace, and love, or everything that people long for, but they don't know how to get it. So they think, if I hang out with this one, if I shack up with this one, if I get that job, if I hit the lotto, if I get that car, and it makes me high for a little while, but then I come back down. I got to look for the next thing to get that high up. Miserable is what this life is apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But with God, even if I don't have a car, or I have a small place I'm living in. Even in the worst of times, I have joy. I'm not a slave 
of my circumstances. And God promises, just like we heard on Sunday, if we're faithful to him and honor him, he'll give us double honor. He will give us things that we need in a royal way. Now, somebody, at least I, you know, when I was growing up and I went to church faithfully and I never heard this kind of preaching, first of all. So as I grew older, I thought, you know what? I like God and I think it's good, but I'm not getting what I want by following this. Nobody told me that God will give you the best of what you want. If it's good for you, you got to be patient and walk with him. And I can, I can prove, I can, I can attest to this now. I know exactly what it means. And somebody says, God will bless you and honor you with more than you could ever ask or imagine. Hallelujah. Every one of us can testify to that if we've experienced that. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the cunning schemings of the devil. The devil doesn't rest. He has a trap for everybody every day. Good news is we don't have to fall into any of them. We can just bypass those traps. Just like an army, they, they, they pick up the mines where the mines are and they warn the fellow soldiers, do not step on that leaf. Why not? I stepped on leaves all day. No, that leaf has a mine underneath. It's going to blow you up. But thank you for telling me because I would have never known that leaf looked like any other leaf. But not that you marked it out. Keep an eye out for that. Another guy, don't go behind that tree. You got 100 trees over here. Why not? Because I got another trap over there. God is so good. People say, ah, I don't want God. I don't want to hear God's word and I don't need him. And they get blown up every day. You like the cartoon characters? You ever seen a cartoon where the cartoon character gets blow, blown up? But, you know, it's a cartoon and their face is black and dark and full of soot. And the hair is like frizzled and standing up maybe and they have big eyes you can see. They're like, uh-oh. I made a boo-boo, I got blown up. But the cartoon characters, they get cleaned up, they're back in their style. Not with human souls. When the devil aims, he shoots to kill. So a person may say, wow, I'm still here. But you're more dead than yesterday because you fell into the trap. And that death on the inside is the worst thing. It's worse than physical death. To never have peace. Always look over my shoulder. Not be able to trust anyone. At the same time, get high. Not necessarily on drugs. High on vacation. High at the beach. High with food. High with buying things and gadgets. Only to come crashing down. It's the story of the human life without God. Well, these are the traps of the devil. He lies. And the Lord warns us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities That means these rulers up there, these magistrates, it's like a king up there. Demons are controlling territories. It's really true. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Not in heaven, but you have different levels of the word heaven. There's a first heaven, second, third heaven. Third heaven is where God is. You have a second heaven, the atmosphere. The first heaven, atmosphere, the second is space. You have different uh, stratification layers, if you will, in the spiritual realm. 
So when it says the demons are in the heavenly places, it's not the heaven where God is. It's in the air, in the atmosphere. They look for bodies. And they don't show up the way we see in the movies most of the time. They come through the mind and say, go get this. You need it right now. Go say this. And what happens? People fall for it every day. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Because of this, therefore, because of Satan trying to incite you to be jealous and envious and bitter and shoot off your mouth and curse that person and be mean and be vengeful, rise up and fries, you can't do this to me instead of praying to God and saying, Lord, you accept it. When God steps in to defend you, he does a thorough job. But if we do it ourselves, we, we fail and fall every time. When, when a person knocks somebody else out, verbally or physically, and think that, well, I won, they actually lost. Because they let pride knock them out. And that'll make them more and more prone to be deceived by the devil. But if we say, Lord, this person is doing this to me, or they're scheming, they're talking this evil, Lord, I'm not going to handle it the way I used to. That's a dead end. I want you to step in, Lord. I want to be clear in my conscience, Lord, and, and watch God work. Therefore, you got all this stuff happening to you internally and externally. I'm afraid of COVID. I'm afraid of the air quality. I'm afraid of the new law that's been passed. And I'm afraid of the economy. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of what this boss wants me to do. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of my kid. I met a millionaire not too long ago. You know what he said to me privately? He said, I have no peace in my house. My kid is threatening to assault me. You know why? Because he wants $17,000 and I'm not giving it to him. This millionaire who is probably six foot three or four, quite healthy. A man who knows how to use his words to get what he wants. Scared of his teenage son. Because the son is trying to force him to give him money. And his man doesn't want to give it. And he's afraid of getting beat up by the son. What kind of life is that? Wouldn't you rather have almost nothing? Have peace in the home and love? It's exactly what the Bible says. Better is a little where love is. And lots of food and lots of things. Fist fights are going on and angry, hostile attitudes. Oh, the wisdom of God. It really gives us peace. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. God says in the ring with the devil. I don't want you to knock out the devil with my power. And then you get knocked out too. Both of you on the ground. No. When my power works through you, you will defeat the prince of darkness. Through my power, you'll be the one standing. Hallelujah. Stand, therefore. Go ahead. Stand. Having Here's the armor. Having your waist girded with the truth. I need to know what's in this holy book because it will keep me together. When they had a girdle or the belt, it was to keep the rest of the armor together tight in fighting form. Otherwise, it will be dangling everywhere. You got your breastplate not in place. You got your 
your your sword dangling over there and your different parts of the whole equipment is not tight. But the truth will keep us tight and ready to fight the real battle, which is with the enemy, the devil, not with people. Next piece of armor, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This protects my heart. The heart is where the home is. The heart is where the man or woman really lives. The devil can't penetrate if I had this breastplate, this chest shield to protect my heart. But what kind of shield is it? It's uh, righteousness. When I say God, from the moment I wake up in the morning, my God, to the moment I go back to sleep at night, I want to have a clear heart. God, I want to have a clear conscience. Lord, I want to do the right thing, Lord, by you. Not by what I think and what other people say. By you, because that's where it counts. Now the devil cannot penetrate my heart to play with my emotions. The heart is known as the seat of affections. When a person gets emotionally charged, they're liable to do anything. When our emotions are up, whether it's love or whether it's hate, it can spring a person into action to do something they may regret. Or they may be happy about. Emotions are powerful and they settle in the heart. But I need to protect my heart from being wild up with my emotions by the devil who's a schemer and he's a skilled serpent at this tactic. He's been doing it for centuries. My heart is protected because I'm walking right. That's what it means. I'm doing the right thing by God. Next, having shod or having your feet covered, fitted, protected. A soldier can be a gladiator. He's got muscles everywhere and he can press Bench press 550 pounds or 700 pounds. He's just brutal. His neck is so thick, thicker than his head. His calves are gargantuan. I mean, the man is six foot seven, 400 pounds of pure muscle. Goes into battle with his huge shield. impenetrable helmet, breastplate. He's got the sword that is the best in the business. He's got the skill to handle it. He's got the best belt to keep the armor together. He's got to put on his shoes. Here comes this killer running toward the enemy. He's well protected. He thinks he's got everything. Just a little feces are not covered. And a little thorn hits the little feces and this big gladiator, gladiator can't stand the pain. Blood is flowing and while he's taking care of that, he gets slaughtered. What a terrible irony to be so powerful but neglected what they call in literature the Achilles heel. One little part that's uncovered becomes the downfall. What do I need to have on my feet? Feet talk about our walk also. Where I go, what I do. Wherever I go, I need to take the gospel of peace. That means I have to be peaceful myself. Not irate, Jesus loves you, and get angry at them when they don't do what you want them to do. 
or gave them a look and said, God bless you with a snarl and sarcasm. You need God more than me or he needs God more than you. Fake religion. God says, no, you got to be humble. You got to have peace in your heart. You got to know the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? It's the good news. Jesus died for a criminal like me. That's right. I offended God and I hated God by the way I lived. A lot of people say, I always loved God. No, you didn't. Nobody always loved God. We can think mentally that I had nothing against him, but the way I live speaks louder than the way I may talk about how I think about God. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died to set me free from my sins, and I can tell other people that same good news. So I'm going with peace. If I don't have the gospel of peace, I can have the other stuff, but the devil will come and hit me. You say, you're Christian, you know the Bible, you go to church, but you're mean. You're not forgiving. You don't have patience. That's probably the, the number one way that the devil gets people to refuse Christ is by showing Christians or leaders, Christian leaders or bishops or apostles or prophets, whoever it is, whatever name they give themselves and have this garment and all this big establishment and the devil says, keep it up. I will help you build your empire, oh bishop. I love you, apostle, pastor. You're my kind of guy, my kind of woman. I'll make you big. I'm going to fatten you up like a pig, getting ready for the slaughter. Go ahead, be full of yourself. Talk that talk. Tell them about the scriptures and then treat them mean. Don't be peaceful. Tell them God loves you, but show them how much you hate them. That was just keep it up. I love it. I'll give you a whole bunch of Bibles. I'll give you tracts. Preparation of the gospel of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Where you go, where you are, are you a person who brings peace of Jesus? Above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery That means darts with fire. They were more destructive because they set things on fire. Darts are poisonous. They can be painful. They can destroy. But when you set it on fire and you shoot that, it's going to do a whole lot more damage. The devil's playing for keeps. He takes no prisoners. He's looking to steal, kill, and destroy. But something is more powerful than that fiery dart from the wicked one. All of them. It's the shield of faith. What is this faith? I trust God. God told me some things. He said, I'll be with you in the storm. I'll be with you. I've got your back. Don't worry. Don't fear. When you feel fear coming on, look to me. Call on my name and I'll be right there. Why does God want us to call upon him? Why can't he just be there? Well, he is, but he'll come down in a special way. He's building our character. He's building our faith. And if we don't do what we have to do, we're never going to exercise that spiritual muscle called faith will be weak. And we begin to cultivate a habit in our lives. I keep calling on the Lord all the time. And people may think I'm crazy, my family, my friends. I keep calling on Jesus. Well, he's real. Secondly, I'm his child. He's my daddy. Anytime I'm in trouble, I call my daddy. He's the perfect best one. 
and I will honor him. And I want to show you how many times he's bailed me out. When I didn't know him, he did by his mercy, but now he's teaching me, training me to become a soldier in his army against evil. And I gained my strength by calling on his name and believing his word. That's my shield of faith. And take the helmet of salvation. Helmet is protecting the head, the brain, the center. It's the CPU, the computer for the whole body. You touch the brain, nothing will work. Thoughts can come. Emotions to the heart, thoughts to the brain. All kinds of thoughts, lightning speed. We need to be protected with the word of God. Know that my salvation is in God's declaration to me. I'm his child. And he will protect and save me from every difficulty. He's so faithful. Many of us can testify to that. When I'm in the fray, in the battle, the devil's coming at me with all kinds of things. The whole heart of hell against me. I know I'm saved. Because I'm saved, I'm under the blood. I'm safe under the blood. Yes, I'm safe under the blood. Oh, I'm safe under the blood. And the devil can do me no harm. Because salvation has been given to me. I'm under his blood. Devil is scared to death about the blood of Jesus. When did anyone ever be afraid of blood? I mean, blood signifies life is coming out of somebody. But it's the life of God. The devil is afraid of God's presence, his blood. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I need the truth around my waist. Having integrity. To keep everything tight. Because if I'm not honest with God and with myself, nothing matters. But if I am, everything's tight. I'm in fighting form. And now I have an offensive weapon. I got full protection from God. Hallelujah. Against everything the devil can throw. His latest, so-called greatest weapons that he's formulated. Nothing will work against me because I have the full armor of God. But I also have an offensive weapon. Sword to stab the devil. It's the word of God. Jesus was being harassed by Satan in the Judean wilderness. The devil came with three temptations. Characterizing the rest of the temptations during the 40 days in the wilderness. He came at him every day. Three of those are recorded for us to show how to handle the devil. The devil came and said, If you're the son of God, why don't you turn the stone to bread? The Lord had the power. Jesus could have done it instantly. He's the creator. But he told the devil this. He said it's written. The word of God said man shall not live by bread only. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm not alive because of bread. I don't need this to live. God's word is making me to live. Because I'm alive by God's word. When I eat the bread. It'll do what it has to do in my body. Physical body. But if I don't have God's word. Bread's not going to make me live. 
Therefore, bread is not the source of my life. God's word is, boom. Devil got stabbed in the shoulder. While he's reeling from that wound, he comes with another one. Just listen. You're the son of God. I give you your props, your respect. You're the son of God. You see this temple here? Yeah, the beautiful temple. Why don't you jump from there? Because I got one for you. The word of God says, Psalm 91, where he quoted from, he'll give his angels to be in charge. He'll catch them. Who? The ones who trust himself. You're the son of God. You're the closest to the father. He'll catch you. He'll send his angels in a, in a hurry to catch you. So just jump. Show everybody your power. Go show people how much favor God has on you. The Lord says, Satan is written, you should not tempt the Lord your God. Got another stab now, close to the vitals. The devil's reeling from that. He said, I got one more shot. He comes and says, open your eyes, Jesus. You see the billions of dollars with that guy over there? He's got an oil rig over there. He's got a business there. He's a tycoon. Billions of dollars. I'll take that and give it to you. See that lady over there? She's the queen. She's got all this jewelry and treasures. And You see that guy? He's a general. He's got all these people. He's a dictator. I give you the kingdoms of the world because it's mine to give. Right now. You want to hit the lotto? I got the numbers. The Lord says, get out of here in Jesus' name. No, he didn't say in Jesus' name. That's what we have to do. He's Jesus himself. He says, get behind me, devil. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. He says the devil left him for a season. He was wounded. There's a day in which God will send the angel, particular angel, to catch Satan and throw him into the lake of fire. That's what God said. And everything God says happens. The Bible is filled with prophecies. Most of them have come to pass already in history. So we know God's word is true. We need to have that word in our minds, memorize it, have it when we're ready, uh, when we're being attacked to be ready. When, when, when the devil comes with lustful thoughts, we have to say, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, right away start fighting Satan with that. That if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you already commit adultery with her. He who commits adultery be thrown into the fire. If your eye offends you, pluck out your eye. It's better for you to enter into heaven with one eye than to have both eyes and go to hell. We need to know the word of God so we can fight against that. When we're tempted with stuff, maybe abusing ourselves with substance or whatever, trashing our body, we need to know. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Who you have from God? Is glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belongs to God. We need to have these words of Jesus because they not only minister life to us, they burn up the devil and the schemes. Otherwise, we'll fall for it sooner or later. 
That was like a roaring lion. He'll just wait. The lion is very skilled. He's smart. He has brute strength, but he's a smart creature. That's why the Lord likens him to a lion. He will wait. The lion will wait in the shade while all the zebras and the deers and the buffaloes, they're just having a jolly old time because they're in a group. Got my gang. Lion says, okay. I may not be able to take all of you at once. I'm going to get you. He sees that one not watching. He says, okay, ready, set, go. Straight for that one. Nothing can stop the lion. Grabs him by the neck. He's gone. The rest of them run away. When we're with believers, real believers, who really love God and fear God, the strength, you know why? Because in the midst of our gathering, God says, I'll be present. When God is present, we'll hear his voice, his word. We can take that word and we can use it against that enemy. Otherwise, our time will be ill-spent. Doing everything, it's like a nation who keeps building and building, but they don't have an army. No weapons. Why? I believe in peace. Uh, I'm a pacifist. And all my peoples are pacifists. We are pacifist USA. And when, when, when Russia comes and China comes, whoever comes and threatens us, uh, we're going to tell them, look, let's talk this over. Can we meet at Starbucks? Your leader, my leader? No, they're not going to meet your Starbucks. They're going to throw missiles. As believers, we need to know we're in a war. And if we are so deluded that we love to spend time everywhere except where we need to be trained to win in this life and in the one to come, we need to develop the skills and the weaponry so we can, having done all, do what? Not be demolished on the floor, but stand victorious in Christ. And that way we'll continue to be lights in this world. Blessed be the rock. I pray that the Lord has spoken to your heart and helped you to see what's the most important thing in life. And to say, Lord, train me, Lord. I can't afford to let my guard down. Families are dying, Lord. People are going to hell. People are at each other's throats, Lord. They're lying. They're stealing. They're setting bad examples, Lord, for one another. The whole life is a lie. I don't want any part of it, Lord. Oh, I want the truth, Lord. I know it's not going to be easy, Lord, but I'm going to stick with you because you are life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So prayer is another important part that we can have the armor and we can know the pieces and have it on. But we do need to pray also. That communication with God is vital. Just like uh, the soldier gets the orders from the generals or the immediate uh higher ranking officials, they need to know what to do. They need to, with God, the difference is that God sees everything. And so the communication is even more vital than an actual soldier in a human battlefield taking orders from the human general. We need that connection with the Lord. We need to honor him, love him, ask him to guide us in everything that we do. The more we do that, the more our lives will take shape into something totally different, something very beautiful. Um, this this epistle, now this particular chapter is the last one in the epistle. 
but is written while Paul was incarcerated. The apostle was under arrest. And uh, at least a portion was under house arrest. He's under arrest. He can't do anything, can he? And he's talking about fighting and armor and praying. And he has this victory note in his voice. That's because he was a champion. That's because even though they put him in prison when he did the right thing, he didn't do anything wrong. The devil put him in prison because he tried to shut him down. Paul used the prison as a launching pad to spread the word to the household of Caesar. And wherever he was, even Caesarea in, in Palestine, Paul was a winner. He went to prison, wrongly accused, trumped up charges. He said, Lord, if it's your will that I go to prison, even though I'm totally innocent, I didn't do anything wrong. I just live for you. Tell people about your goodness, about your resurrection, or what you did on the cross. Lord, let's go. Take me there so I can tell more people, Lord, inside about your love. And people did come to know God. How powerful. That really itself speaks volumes, doesn't it? This man was in prison while he was writing this. And he's a winner in the prison because he's righteous. He's transformed. He used to kill people, murder people who believed in Christ. And God forgave him all of that bloodshed. He ordered it. God transformed Shaul, as the Hebrew is for Saul, into Paul. Now his name was actually Saul and Paul, Jewish and Roman. He's a Roman citizen. But he started taking the name Paul. He was called to go to the Gentiles. People like us, non-Jews, in that early Christian era. So we have here all we need to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, and overcome Satan and all the evil temptations, be victorious and have a life that is full of God's love and peace and the best future ahead. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name. We magnify your name, Lord. Through all the afflictions and persecutions, Lord, and things we have to go through, Lord, even when the family and the families are suffering different assaults, I thank you, God, that you come through. God, you pull us up out of the ditch, out of the trouble, Lord, out of the trauma. Only you, Lord Jesus, because you went through trauma. You know what it's like. You went through it because of us, our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Cover everyone on the call with your precious blood. I pray that your word will go forth even more, Lord. This evening, oh Lord, help us to be awake. Help us not to be sleeping when the enemy comes. But to be awake so we can take him down in your mighty name. We will not be defeated. Because of Jesus Christ who is with us. In all our past records, Lord. Of failure and sinfulness and rebellion. Who can take it away? No human being can do it. Only God whom we've offended first. And foremost, thank you, Jesus, that you're willing to love and forgive us. Thank you, Father. Blessed Holy Spirit, I pray that you sweep over our minds and hearts. Turn us to be peaceful people. If we're not. Honest people, if we're not. In any area, Lord, we don't want to have even one area where we're dishonest or doing shady things. 
Help us not to lie or steal. Just like you spoke even the very big uh, epistle, Lord, book of Ephesians. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work with his hands, giving to him who has need. Help us do the opposite, Lord. Every wrong thing we've done, help us to take vengeance against the wrong thing by doing the right thing. And your blood covers us, forgives us when we repent. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us be truthful on the job, wherever you place us, Lord. Help us to respect the bosses, Lord, even if they're mean, to do the right thing, even when they're not looking. Heavenly Father, help us to know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Whenever people come against us with hate and slander and lies and gossip, that we begin to pray, Lord, and ask you to uncover the lies, that your truth will win out, and you will, Father, exonerate us, Lord. You will prove that we're in the light with you. Help us not to be quick to defend ourselves when you tell us to wait on you. Help us not to connive, Lord, and scheme and say things, Lord, that are really a setup for something else we really want and pass it off as something other. Help us, Lord, not to be deceitful in any way. Help us not to be pumped up and filled with a lot of zeal and energy to go do the wrong thing and say the wrong thing to wrong people. In the name of doing your work, not being led by the Spirit of God, Oh, Jesus, help us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Help us not to be full of ourselves, Lord, but to be empty, that we can take direction from the Spirit of God, who will only speak when we shut down our own thoughts. Change our course to be more pleasing to you, Lord, by the end of this evening. That we'll take what we get this evening, Lord, what we receive and we'll receive. To say, my Father, I can't afford to relax I've got to do the right thing all the time. I love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.